This is the Byron Bledsoe Podcast, Senior Pastor of C3 Church in Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for checking out today's message. We hope this word encourages you and inspires you. Let's jump into the message. Amen. It is great to see you this morning, especially if today is your very first time at C3. We want to say welcome, and we want you to know that in the life of C3, you really do matter. We're grateful you're here. Uh, the way we flow at C3 is your future is our focus. And so uh, we're excited to spend a few moments with you this morning. We'll only be here three or four hours. It's going to be awesome. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is awesome to see you. I don't, uh, if you are a guest, I don't normally wear a suit, so don't expect this next week. But uh, I thought today was appropriate because about a month ago, uh, one of our sons, Nate, he was on our team before he serves a church in Dallas now. He got engaged about a month ago. And then uh, this week, Tuesday night, Ethan and Rachel, y'all stand up. They got engaged Tuesday night. Ethan's our... And so this year, we'll have two weddings in our family. And I wore a suit because I'm celebrating the fact that it's not two daughters. (laughs) It's two sons. Because I think I'd have to get three extra jobs if it was two daughters. But it is awesome to see you. We're in the second week of a series called Growing Together. This is a series about marriage, about love, marriage, and intimacy. It's a series about relationships. So if you're married and you want your marriage to be even better, you came to the right place. If you're not married and you hope to be married one day, you came to the right place. If marriage is not even on your mind, it's not even on your radar, the principles we're going to talk about are going to help you in every single meaningful relationship you have because these principles work in every relationship. Marriage can be challenging. Marriage can be difficult. Sometimes you're riding in the boat together of marriage and you'll deal with some stormy seas. Sometimes you deal with some rocky waves. Sometimes you get a little seasick. Sometimes it feels like, is this going to last forever? Is it going to be turbulent forever? And one of the things I've noticed is every now and then people decide, you know what? I'm jumping out. I would rather drown than continue this journey with you. And so this morning, I want to give you five steps, five principles that that if you're drowning, I I, I want to try to reach a helping hand, really God reaching a helping hand through his word, and and grab your hand and pull you out of that place. So five steps that will help you with that, five steps that will enhance your relationships, five ingredients that will make your marriage better. If you have a good marriage, it can always be better. If you have a marriage that's in trouble, hey, God has always been in the business of resurrecting dead things. And as long as you know Jesus, there's always hope. The book of 1 Peter says these words, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Live with your wives in an understanding way. That word understanding can be translated knowledge. And in the New Testament, there are two different translations when it comes to knowledge. One speaks of knowledge that I've acquired, knowledge that I already have. The other, which is used in this passage, speaks of gaining knowledge, a a perpetual chasing after knowledge, knowledge that I want to continue to grow in, I want to continue to bring into my life. I, I realize I have not arrived. What it's saying is men, and I believe it also applies to women, With your spouse, always be a student of your spouse. You don't have to be a professor. 
Guys, you will never be an expert. Things change often. You'll never be an expert. But you can be a student. So the first ingredient, the first principle I want to give you, if you're in trouble, this will help. If your marriage is in trouble, if your marriage is good, this will help make it even better, is this. To fully love, you must deeply know. To fully love, you must deeply know. In healthy marriages, in healthy relationships, but especially healthy marriages, we're only healthy if we're a student of our spouse. If we're learning, I can tell by the way Angie walks in the room, what kind of mood she's in. I can tell with facial expressions a little bit of what she's thinking. Certainly not everything. That, that will never happen. But, but some things, I, 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 can, I know how to read those things. I, I try to be a student and observe. A, and listen, if you're the one being studied, um, it helps to be interesting. Nobody wants to be a student of watching the grass grow. So you want to have some things in your life where you're interesting, you're compelling, and you're the kind of person that you bring your best. But to, be, to fully love, you must deeply know. So what are her top three favorite songs? What stresses him out? What is his biggest fear? What are her dreams for the future? Sometimes we know surface things, and often we know more about ourselves and our desires and what we hope for the marriage than we know the person we're married to. You've got to have some love maps in your marriage. Love maps are the GPS of marriage. If you want to be comforting, you've got to know how to get there with your spouse. If you want to be caring, you've got to know how to get there with your spouse. If you want to be understanding, you have to know the best route to take with your spouse. You've got to learn your spouse's world. You've got to understand their lived experiences, what they've been through, what they're sensitive to. Part of being married is that you're the one person on planet earth that gets to love your spouse in a way that's healing. Ultimately, only God can do that, but you have the opportunity in marriage to be a healing force of love, allowing God to love through you to your spouse, because we've all been through stuff. So, You've got to know deeply to know how your spouse feels loved. The Five Love Languages, the book by Gary Chapman, talks about the five different ways that we feel love. And just because you feel like you're loving your spouse doesn't mean they feel the receiving part of it. Some people, their, their love language is quality time. Some people, it is gifts. If your spouse's love language is gifts, I pray for you. That's awesome. Some people, it's physical touch, like men. I mean, some people, they're different love languages, but you've got to recognize, if I'm loving my spouse with my love language and hers is different, she's not going to feel what I'm doing is love. And you can't do that if you don't know your spouse in a deep way, if you're not constantly a student of your spouse. The more I understand your world, the more I can care about you. The more I understand your world, the more connected I feel to you. So, sir, what makes her, her? Ma'am, what makes him, him? Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And the temptation is to think 
I can never understand them. Men and women are intentionally, by design, created differently. Both in the image of God fully, both equal value to God, but men and women generally, vast majority, are basically men are like this, women are like this. Men and women, it's like different ways of living. If you put this slide up, men and women are very different. Women, um, women are more connected mentally, emotionally, relationally. Women have a higher emotional IQ than men do, emotional intelligence than men do. Women are able to handle multiple things at once. Uh, the mind of a woman is a lot like, and if you don't like this statement, don't get mad at me. I didn't write it. I read it. But, but men, women are a lot like an efficiency apartment where they can be all over the place at one time and absorbing and taking in everything that's happening all at one time, able to function at such a high level, they can process what's happening at work, what's happening at home, what's happening with their kids, what's happening in the world on the news, and they feel it in a very deep way all at one time. Men are very different. Men are like a two or three bedroom house. And everything has a place. There's a family room. There's a work room. There's a hobbies room. There's a marriage room. There's a kid's room. So ladies, this is why at the end of the day, if you say, hey, how did things go at work? If he's in the hobbies room and mentally he's thinking about his hobbies, he has to go out of that room, go down the hall, go into the workroom, and process what happened at work. That's why sometimes he'll say, the initial response is, nothing. He's not in that room. He's got to take a moment and get there because he's not able to process both at once. And sometimes, sometimes, ladies, you, you can look at your husband and you can say, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. And you think he's lying. He doesn't want to tell me what he's thinking about. He, he's not being honest with me. There are things he's thinking about that if, if I knew what he was thinking about, it would upset me. So he's just lying to me. No, no, no. He's just in the hall. <laughs> he's just in neutral. Like men have a unique ability to just go brain dead and just think about nothing for a little bit. And you can't comprehend that because you're all over the place. You can comprehend and take in everything, a lot of information at once. Men and women are created in a very different way. So to fully love, you must deeply know. There's another thing I think that's important. Last week, we walked through Ephesians 5, that passage that talks about marriage. Today, I'm giving you just a flyover of a few principles that will be beneficial and where we find them in the Word of God to apply. The second one is this, feed fondness and forget faults. Feed fondness and forget faults. You do understand that you get to choose what you think about. And you get to choose how you remember things. You can't control the thoughts that pop in your mind. You do get to control how long they stay there. And in healthy marriages, we feed fondness and admiration for our spouses. Every one of us chooses what we remember in life. And we remember good things we like those people. Think about it. The people that you like in life. If, if you're married and you like your spouse, you generally think good things. You think about the good memories. You think about the things that were meaningful and positive. In your friendships, you think about the good things. The people you like at work, 
It's because you think about the good things. It's not that there are no negative things. You just overlook them. And maybe there aren't nearly as many negative as positive, so it makes it somewhat easy. But when we remember bad things, we don't like those people. And the danger is, if you and I bring into our marriage an attitude of focusing on the negative things, focusing on what's wrong, focusing on the bad things, it creates a pattern and a habit of how you think, and you carry that into your other relationships, and you can very easily become a negative and cynical person. You want to be the kind of person that assumes the best. You want to be the kind of person that thinks about the positive things. She calls and says, I'm going to be late. I had a meeting. It went over. And, sir, you've planned. You don't normally do this, but you've planned dinner. You've got the candles lit. Everything's in place. And now she's going to be late. And then when she gets home, she's even later than she told you she would be. You have two options. One, I can't believe she did this. After all the energy and time I put in to making sure everything was perfect, I wanted us to have a nice evening. I wanted it to be special for her, special for us. After all the time that I put in, I can't believe she was so selfish and would just not bother. And, and, and then she called. Yeah, she called to say she'd be late, but she was even later than that. You can do that. Or you can think, wow, she must have had a tough day. I mean, I, I, it had to be exhausting. I know she would love to be home at, on time. Nobody wants to stay there that much longer. And then she called and was delayed even beyond that. This must have been a hard day for her. Man, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure this evening is comfortable and, and, and she has a nice evening. You get to decide. And we develop patterns in our thinking. And so when you assume the best, and by the way, one of the reasons that I want to assume the best in my life is that I want people to assume the best of me. So many of the problems in our marriages are because of the things we assume. Marriages are destroyed, marriages end, marriages implode, not because of the big things, it's usually the little things. And often those are built on a mountain of assumptions where we chose a way of thinking. And it's not that she wasn't late. It's not that she didn't make it even by the time she said she would when she called. It's not that those things are untrue. It's just there could be some very valid reasons for that, and it might not have anything to do with her disregarding your feelings or being selfish. And so I want to be the kind of person that believes the best, that feeds fondness, because when you feed negativity, you will live in a habitat of conflict constantly. And it won't benefit you or anybody else. In marriage, you spend more time with, share more dreams with, live more vulnerable with, argue more with, agree and disagree more with that one person than any other person on earth. And sometimes when I talk about arguments in marriage, there are people that say, well, I don't argue with my spouse ever. You don't really know them then. And, and usually when that happens, it's because you've decided to live a compliant life, not a fulfilling life. And eventually that volcano will erupt. Or, or there are people that think, man, a man says to his wife, I don't know why we always argue. 
you always have something negative to say. You, you always are critical. We always get in these arguments, and some of them we repeat over and over again. We've argue, been arguing about the same little thing for 12 years now. I don't know why it's like that. So-and-so at the office doesn't do that. Man, she's nice to me. Well, hey, Bubba, she's not married to you. She doesn't live with the parts of you that your bride lives with and tolerates and puts up with and tries to overlook. Don't ever assume that someone else will do better that's not living in the circumstances that your bride is living in with you. The grass is not always greener. And you can look at, thank you, all five of you, 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 can, look at, you can look at divorce rates and what takes place. Second marriages have a higher rate of possible divorce than first marriages. Third marriages have a higher possible rate of divorce than second marriages. You're not going to change your marriage and become happier by changing who your spouse is. It happens when you change you. You can't ignore what's happening in you and how you treat, how you engage, how you love the person that you promise to give your best, your loyalty, and everything you have for the rest of your life. You're going to repeat the same pattern in another marriage. It's just a different person. You've got to address what's happening in your life. So, so how do you feed the fondness? How do you, because listen, the reality is none of us are perfect. There are things we can focus on in our marriages and our relationships that, that are negative. There are things, nobody has it all together, that we can nitpick and we can point out and we can be frustrated about. So how do we, how do we feed the fondness? Think about what it was like, sir, when you first met her. Ma'am, when you first met him. When you first started to date. The connected conversations, the times that you were there for each other. Remember those moments. I've talked to people occasionally that say things like, well, this new person that I've found just makes me happy. That is one of the stupidest statements I've ever heard because here's the reality. You were happy with her in the beginning. And what changed here will change there. If you don't change you, you've got to connect in a way and think about what it felt like when you first met. Dr. John Gottman wrote the book, The Seven Principles That Make Marriage Work, probably the best book outside of Scripture that I've ever read that has to do with marriage. And he says, how you remember and think of your relationship and how it began can predict a happy marriage are divorced with a 94% accuracy. You cannot choose what happens in life. You can always choose your perspective and how you think about it. You've got to feed the fondness. You have to intentionally think about the things that you appreciate about your spouse, the things that you value, the things that you're drawn to, the things that you love, the things that you adore. And over time, what can happen if, if, you, if you slide into a pattern of conflict and negativity and arguing, it doesn't feel like it used to feel. And you won't just snap out of it one day. You won't just wake up one day and it's all better. You've got to think about how it felt in the beginning, and then you've got to try to recreate that, and you create that by acting the way to her you did in the beginning. By acting the way to him you did in the beginning. Remember when you first started dating, all the things you overlooked because you, you had to be with her? You had to be with him. It wasn't that there weren't things to overlook. You just overlooked them. You've got to learn that pattern and develop that pattern and do it again. The Bible says it like this in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best. You want to do best? You want to live your best life? You'll do best by filling your minds and meditating, 
Meditating is to process. Meditating is to sit with it. Meditating is to let it sink in and feel it and ponder it and think about it, live with it, to filling your minds and meditating on things that are true. Well, it's, it's true that he doesn't treat me very well. It's true that he doesn't seem to have ambition. It's true that he could be a better father. Those, those things may be true. It's also true that you picked him. And it's also true that at one time you thought he had everything it would take to be who you saw that he could be. And if you remove hope from the equation for a man or a woman, you've killed it. Things that are true, things that are reputable, things that are authentic, things that are compelling, things that are gracious, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. You've got to train your mind to think in patterns of what, what you value and what you see in a positive way. There's got to be at least one or two things about him, at least one or two things about her that you value and you think are positive. And if you would spend more time thinking about those things than you do the 12 things that are wrong, your feelings would begin to orbit and change. And what, what, what's the point of that? Am I supposed to just live in some sort of fake state? Is that, is that what we're talking about? No, no, no. As your feelings change, your attitude and the temperature of your relationship changes, and then you have the opportunity because you're more connected, things are more positive, you have the opportunity to have more influence and speak into his life and address in a positive way the 12 things that you wish were different. If you address them from a negative perspective, he's never going to hear you. Things to praise, not things to curse. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. If you're going to be in a loving relationship, you're not going to like this, but it doesn't make it less true. If you're going to be in a loving relationship, if you want to have a happy, fulfilling marriage, you're going to have to let some things go. You're going to have to. It might be that you're in a season where you're going to need to talk to God about your spouse and what's going on more than you talk to your spouse about what you don't like. So letting some things go is not pretending that it doesn't exist. It just means, you know what? I'm not the Holy Spirit of God in her life. I'm not the Holy Spirit of God in his life. I'm going to talk to God and ask God to work on these things. But before I even do that, I'm going to ask God, what do you need to work on in me? What are the things in me that need to be changed? To fully love is to deeply know. We've got to feed fondness and forget faults. The third principle, how you turn determines your destination. If you put the directions in your vehicle or in your phone and you're driving somewhere and it says turn right and you turn left, you're not going to get where you'd like to go. How you turn determines your destination. And couples in conflict and marriages that end involve two people that at least one of them and often both of them decided the conflict is too deep, the struggle is too great, we're going to turn away from each other. And when you have a pattern of turning away from each other, there is no coming together. She says, my day was rough. This job, I, I don't know that I want to continue in this. 
My boss is unrealistic. The pressure's overwhelming. They said they would hire more people to fill the gaps. They keep putting more on me and no more income, no more raise, no more bonus than I was already getting. I'm really struggling and it's, it's a rough day. And in that conversation, he never looks up from his phone and he never acknowledges her words. That is turning away. He says, I'm having a hard time with John at the office. I, I feel bad for him. I don't want to fire him, but he keeps coming in late. He's got a lot of family issues. He doesn't seem to take responsibility. He's not making the sales quotas, and I, I'm feeling this pressure because I feel like I know what needs to happen for the best of the company, but at the same time, I care about him. I've tried to invest in him. I've tried to bring him along. He's been at this company. He's worked with us for years, and he's going through a tough season, and I don't know if he can pull out of it. Maybe he can. I'm hoping he can, and I'm really struggling, and I don't know what to do, but she never stops what she's doing and never glances his way. That's turning away. The greatest opportunity you and I have to create deep emotional connection is often in the little moments of vulnerability. We wait to create connection until we go on the sandals vacation. We wait to create connection until there's some scheduled time that we're going on a date. Man, this, Friday night's our date night. We're going out. We're, we're going to connect. No, 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 no. Those connections will be even deeper, even greater, even more beneficial if you connect in the little day-by-day -day moments that seem insignificant but are building the DNA of your relationship. Turning toward has been called filling each other's love tanks. And that's important because in every marriage, in any marriage, there will be challenging days. There will be difficult seasons. And you can go through those seasons productively and lovingly if you have a full love tank. But if you enter those seasons on an empty love tank, you're in trouble. The engine simply dies when it runs out of fuel. 1 Corinthians 13 says love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. The kindest thing you can do is turn toward each other. And there are two ways to think about kindness. There are some people that think, well, kindness is just you, you're either born kind or you're not kind. You have a propensity in your personality to be kind or unkind. And that's, that's, that's true to a point, but it, it's not fully true, and here's why. I don't think kindness is something you have or you don't have. You might have a propensity one way or the other, but more, I think kindness is like a muscle. Some of you are naturally stronger in kindness than others. But all of us, if we exercise that muscle, we can grow stronger over time. Kindness is something you've got to determine you're going to be no matter what. And kindness is not because of how the other person's functioning. We all have blind spots in life. We all have areas that we can't see. And we all have blind spots when it comes to our spouse. Some people have blind spots in areas that are good. They just don't see the good in their spouse. Some people have blind spots in areas that are bad. They don't see the bad in their spouse. Kindness chooses its blindness. Kindness chooses to overlook what's wrong and to honor the spouse. And one of the greatest ways to feel and to show kindness is in turning toward your spouse in the little moments when you're too busy or too tired or too distracted or too overwhelmed or too stressed 
And even in those moments, you put her, you put him first, and you turn toward them. It's in the moments that you could easily turn away, and we would all understand why, because of what you're walking through, but you choose to turn toward. To fully love, you've got to deeply know. You've got to feed fondness and forget faults. You've got to, how you turn determines your destination. Number four, (laughs) let your spouse change your mind. Some of you are so rigid. And I, I, I laugh because I struggle with this one. I can be very rigid. Let your spouse change your mind. Let your spouse influence you. Work through issues as a team. As you make decisions, as you share opinions, allow your spouse to influence you. It is okay for them to say something that's actually wiser, better, more helpful, more productive, and and then you process that. You say, you know what? You're right. Let let them influence you. Don't chase getting your way. Chase making the best decision. And to do that, you've got to stay open to to wisdom or, or perspectives that your spouse may see that you don't see. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. I love the message version of this. Fools are headstrong and do what they like. Wise people take advice. You can be a fool, or you can be wise. The last one, let me give it to you. Be tenacious about the health of your marriage. Be tenacious about the health of your marriage. What is tenacious? There's no quit. There's no give up. There's no stopping. Be tenacious about the health of your marriage, because here's the truth. Great marriages take hard work. Great marriages don't just happen. If you're in a tough spot in your marriage, you're not going to wake up one day and everything accidentally just fall into place. It takes work. You've got to pour energy into it. You've got to pour focus into it. But here's the reality. If you don't, it will take work and there will be an emotional toll and it will be higher than you want to pay to end the relationship. You're going to have to work either way. You might as well develop a pattern in your life of working to build something up instead of working to tear something down. And if you've, if you've walked through the pain of divorce, if you've been through the struggle, I want you to understand, God knows you can't go back in time. None of us can. So what I'm talking about this morning is in no way intended to make you feel bad about what's happened in the past. You can't go back into your past, but God can forgive your past and my past. This is about the future we're going to build and the truth we want to apply from the Word of God so that I don't repeat bad things in my past, you don't repeat bad things in your past, and you may have been the victim of someone else's bad past. It may have been the consequences of your own choices or it may have been the other person. Whatever it is, you can't go back. But God can do a healing work in your life and give you a better future, and nothing is lost about your future if you've been through something very painful. You have just as bright a future as you've ever had because God is still God, and he's the one that writes your story, and he's a God of grace and mercy and love and potential. He's a God that can do the impossible. So just because you've walked through something painful and hard that if you grew up in church, you're taught to be ashamed of, no, 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 no. 
The blood of Jesus covers anything and everything you've ever walked through. He says he makes everything new and that your future is no less bright. You have an incredible future as long as you follow what Scripture teaches and apply these principles to your life. You can repeat the mistakes, and a lot of people do. Or you can change course to have a happy and a meaningful marriage that you love being a part of. You don't have to solve all the problems. You just have to shift your perspective. Your goal is not to convince your spouse to agree with you. Your goal is to listen. The biggest problem we have in marriage is listening. And part of it is because of point number one, we don't really know each other. And so your spouse says something to you and you assume what you think they're saying. One of the best things you can say to your spouse is, what did you mean by that? Now, don't say like, what did you mean by that? 90% of communication is facial expression, even over what we say. What did you mean by that? I want to learn. I want to make sure. I think I heard you say, is that what you actually said? Is that what you're trying to communicate with me? Divorce happens because people don't listen. When your marriage is in trouble, it's because people don't listen. So you have to go to a counselor who you're going to pay a lot of money to listen to. And they're going to say to you, what she's trying to say to you is, what he's trying to communicate is, and if you don't start listening there, then you're going to pay somebody else called an attorney a lot of money to listen to them. And they're going to say, here's how it's going to be, and she's going to get this, and you're you're going to listen at some point. It's a whole lot better to listen before you spend all the money you could have spent to go to the Bahamas and helping other people go to the Bahamas. It's a whole lot better for you to start listening to your spouse early or you will listen to a counselor. If you don't, you'll listen to an attorney and then there will be nobody to listen to. And you can listen for free, free 99. Part of it is by plugging in on Sundays and being a part of a local church where we hear the word of God, we apply the word of God to our lives. Or you can pay counselors and attorneys and you'll listen to them. Thank you. I thought it was good too. I really did. When you do have the disagreements, don't just focus on the words you're hearing. Focus, uh, Focus on where the words are coming from. You may be married to someone who's been through some very difficult things. And because of that, there's some patterns they developed in how to process what they see and how to interpret what's taking place. Certain phrases, certain words may trigger a memory of bad experiences in their past. And they may, without even realizing it, assume that you're not you, you're them, the person that hurt them. It's very important in relationships. Don't just focus on what you're hearing. Focus on where it's coming from. You will not get as angry. You will not be as defensive if you understand there's pain there. That's why she responded like that. There's hurt there. That's why he responded like that. They've been betrayed. That's why they're feeling like that. That's why they're turning this into an argument. And it gives you the opportunity to soften up and love them in a way that is healing from what they've been through, and you're the only person that gets to do that as a spouse. Why do they have this perspective? What's happened in their life that led them to feel this way? I love Luke chapter 21, verse 19, the English Standard Version. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. By your endurance... Quit, never won anything. Quit, never brought success to anybody. 
If you want a healthy marriage, you've, you've got to. You've got to be tenacious about the health of your marriage. And if you apply these things and I apply these things, it will elevate our marriages. It will elevate our relationships. And you will begin to move into the kind of marriage, the kind of life that at one time you dreamed about and maybe you began to think was not even possible. But you cannot do it. I cannot do it without the help of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. This takes something supernatural to live this way. You cannot be the man you want to be, the woman you want to be, the husband you want to be, the wife you want to be. You cannot be that ever unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus who paid the price for all of your sin. And when you become a Christ follower, it gives you the Spirit of God living inside you to help you live beyond what you and I can actually live. Would you pray with me this morning? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're married, maybe you're not married. But you recognize deep inside you the truth of you. You'll never be the person you want to be if all you've got is you. You need a relationship with a loving God who invites us to call him Father, who sent his son to die for us, to pay the penalty for our sin, to give us a home in heaven after this life, to give us his spirit living inside us, to help us live the life God created us to live. So maybe today's the day that you know, man, I I need to give my life to Christ. I'd love to lead you in a very simple prayer. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You can pray this prayer out loud or you can pray it in the quietness of your heart. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus knows even our thoughts. So if you'd like to give your life to Jesus today and have the Spirit of God living inside you and your sins forgiven, just, just pray this prayer. Dear God, I know that I need you. Jesus, please come into my life. Forgive my sin and help me to live for you. As best I know how, I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us. If you just prayed that prayer, we would love to know it. You can text your name to 407-487-8311 and Pastor Byron will be praying for you this week. And also, we want to thank you for your faithful generosity. You can go to giveC3.cc or you can text C3 Orlando to 77977. Thank you so much for how you give. And if you are in Central Florida, please join us in person at our campus at 930 or 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Have a great week.